Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Contagious is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash contagious. Day nine. Movement. Margaret sat down at the computer desk, utterly relieved to finally be out of the hazmat suit she'd worn for 15 hours straight. She typed commands to call up the new Sanchez samples. What was that smell? Had someone left food in here? She looked under the desktop, then under the chair before she realized what it was. The smell was her. Damn. She needed a shower, something fierce. Nothing she could do about that now, though. She looked at the readout. The latrunculin was working. Sanchez's crawler counts had fallen. The chemical side effects were taking their toll, but he wasn't in any serious danger. Not yet. She called up a feed from one of the latest samples. It showed three crawlers, still motionless, just as they had been since Murray's people shot down the satellite. As she watched... One of the crawlers slowly dissolved into little bits, courtesy of the latrunculin. The second crawler started to disintegrate. Margaret had never seen anything so beautiful in her entire life. And then, then the last crawler twitched. She stared, wondering if she'd imagined it, hoping she had. It twitched again, kept twitching. It reached out, looking for something to grab. A dendrite arm locked onto the surrounding muscle tissue and pulled. The crawler was crawling again. The intercom buzzed. Margaret, you there? Dan's voice, urgent. I'm here. Something's up, he said. I'm looking at the side-by-side samples. Everything that wasn't already dead is moving again. They just woke up. All of them. The Reboot So many thoughts, so many voices. No organization, no cohesion. Did she know what that word meant? Yes, she did. Chelsea blinked and opened her eyes. Slivers of early morning light poured through the cracks in the roof and the boarded-up windows. She felt sleepy. She felt sad. Her special friend was gone. She needed Chauncey's wisdom, needed to know what God wanted her to do. She sensed the minds of the soldiers, the hatchlings, the converted. They were all very still. Random thoughts. They were dreaming. No one there to tie them all together. That's what Chauncey had provided. He'd made them one. A sneaking suspicion grew in her mind. What if she could connect everyone? She could replace Chauncey. He had been God, but now he was gone. Now Chelsea was God. She sensed all the soldiers, Mommy, Mr. Burkle the postman, General Ogden. She sensed the two hatchlings back in Gaylord, and she sensed one more voice, a new voice, very faint, very weak, but also very close. The two hatchlings in Gaylord remained prisoners, prisoners of the boogeyman. Chauncey had told her to leave the boogeyman alone. Chauncey had blocked her, but Chauncey wasn't around anymore. And besides, 
no one could tell Chelsea what to do. She wasn't afraid of the boogeyman. God shouldn't be afraid of anyone. Could she block the boogeyman like Chauncey had done? Maybe. But it would take time to learn how to experiment. If she couldn't block him fast enough, the boogeyman would come for her. Unless she got to him first. She summoned General Ogden. It was time to put the pieces in place for his contingency plan, just in case the boogeyman escaped. Perry hears again? I'm going to kill you. It started as a mental tickle, or maybe a ringing, something faint. At first, he wished it away. He just wanted to sleep. You will scream and scream. The ringing grew louder. He heard a voice but couldn't register it. What he could register was a serious hangover. Holy God, did his head hurt. And scream. Perry sat up and tried to rub the sleep from his eyes. The movement produced a metallic sound. The bed felt wobbly. Both hands held his head as he looked around. He wasn't in a bed. He was on an autopsy trolley in the examination room. Someone's idea of humor? Well, yeah, that was kind of funny. The mental tickle grew. With a sinking sensation, he recognized the feeling. Chelsea. Are you afraid? She'd grown stronger. His breath came in short gasps. He was afraid. I'm gonna get you, boogeyman. Maybe I'll make you shoot yourself. Fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Perry's hand shot to his waist, to the holster. The forty-five was there. His hand gripped the cool handle. He didn't draw it. He just held it. Soon, boogeyman. He hadn't experienced her this clearly before. The intensity shocked him. It felt as if her every little emotion was the most important thing that could possibly happen. And yet behind the intensity lay a curious blankness, the feeling that she wasn't good or evil. Chelsea didn't know what good and evil were. She would do whatever she wanted, without remorse, without conscience. Soon... Perry had to find her, find her, and help her. He jumped off the trolley and ran to find Dew. Craving McDonald's. Private Alan Rourke parked the Hummer on the shoulder of North Chrysler Drive. He hopped out. So did Private Peter Bratt, who carried the map. They both walked to the back bumper and looked at the massive overpass. Fuck, Peter said. That's a lot of road. Alan nodded. It was a lot of road. To their right, the three lanes of I-75 heading north, then just past it, three more lanes heading south. Those six lanes slid under the overpass of another six-lane highway. This one, M-102, also known as Eight Mile Road. The sound of tires whizzing over wet pavement combined with hundreds of passing engines to create an almost river-like, tranquil babble. That's a lot of lanes, Peter said. Alan nodded again. Yep, sure is. He turned and looked into the back of the Humvee. He'd already counted what was back there five times, but God was in the details, so he counted again. Seems like a long ways off for a perimeter, Peter said. We're ten miles away from the gate. How are we going to hold the perimeter ten miles out with just two fucking platoons, you know what I mean? The general knows what he's doing, 
Alan said. So does Chelsea. They're bringing in the other two platoons from Gaylord, so we'll have that. Besides, the bigger the area we control, the harder it is for them to find Chelsea. Peter nodded. Makes sense, I guess. Still, I wish we got to do the airport thing. Willis and Hunt got that one. I know, Peter said. I hate those guys. We should have got that gig. Let's just hope we make it back to watch the Angels come through. That will be such a glorious moment. Truly, Alan said. But if we don't see it, I'm sure it's all part of the plan. Peter nodded, slowly and solemnly. Okay, so we've seen these roads. Where's our spot? Alan pointed up to 8 Mile. We just drive up there and get to work. Easy peasy, Peter said. Alan nodded. Easy peasy, Bo Beasy. Let's go. We'll just drive around and see if we get the call. Are you hungry? I could go for some McDonald's, Peter said. I have the biggest craving for it lately. That, and I can't stop jonesing for ice cream on a stick. You too? Man, that's weird. I never liked ice cream before, but now I want to fucking bathe in that shit. Let's eat. They got back in the Hummer. Alan waited for traffic to clear, pulled onto the road, and headed north, looking for the Golden Arches. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Remote island in frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Go south, young man. Take some lumpy shit from horses, the smelly kind that's peppered with half-digested hay. Mix that with gravel, the jagged kind. Now cover it all in kerosene and light it on fire. That's what it felt like inside Dew Phillips's skull. He'd slept on the floor of the computer room right after Baum and Milner convinced him it would be funny to put a passed-out Perry Dossie on the autopsy trolley. Well, that was kind of funny. A headache like that and a hyperactive Perry Dossie jabbering a mile a minute? A match made in hell. Perry, you gotta talk slower, Dew said. Seriously, my head. Yeah, mine too, Perry said. There's a difference. You and Baum and Milner, you're all young. I'm old enough to know what'll happen if I drink that much, which means I'm old enough to know better. You seemed to be down with it last night. Dew nodded and instantly regretted doing so. 
Last night, I was awash in the glory of victory. And now it's morning. My head feels like ass. And you're telling me that victory was no victory at all? She's talking to me, Perry said. She says she's going to kill me. Where is she? Perry shrugged. South. How far south? I don't know, Perry said. Could be Ohio. Could be Indiana. Fucking Kentucky for all I can nail it down. So, how do we find her? Like before, I guess, Perry said. We start driving south till I feel it getting stronger. Then we go in that direction. Signal's fucked up, though. I feel something moving south. Something big. And something even stronger beyond that. We should start driving right now. Thu thought that over. It would work. It had before. But how long would it take? I don't know if we have that much time, he said. Now that the jamming is gone, now that you feel something, you can focus on the hatchlings. Maybe we'll find out exactly where this thing is. Perry thought for a second, then nodded. It's worth a shot. So will you go in there and talk to them again? Perry took a deep breath, then let it out long and slow. I don't want to. She's so strong, do. She might be stronger coming through the hatchlings. I really don't know. You didn't answer the question, Do said. Will you or will you not go talk to them again? I'll be right there with you. That's what I'm afraid of, Perry said. Do smiled. We'll do it just like the shooting range, okay? I'll have a gun at your back. You get silly, I'll put you out of your misery. Perry chewed his lip for a second. Okay, I'll do it. But do, you better not be lying about shooting me in the back. If I have to die, I have to die, but I couldn't handle it if I hurt you. Hard to believe this was the same kid who had butchered a family only eight days ago. But people couldn't change that much in that short of a time. This version of Perry had always been there, waiting for a reason to come out. Pride swelled in Dew's chest. Once again, Perry Dossie was going to stand face to face with his nightmare. Mommy is a big baby. Chelsea Jewell sat at the Winnebago's back end, in the couch that faced the front. Her small body made the couch look like a giant throne. She had a little blood in her hair. A hatchling sat on her lap. She'd named it Fluffy. Chelsea slowly petted Fluffy, feeling the nice texture of his stiff, triangular body. Fluffy's eyes stayed mostly closed, and when they opened, they opened only a little bit. Chelsea wanted to stay calm, but General Ogden was making her so angry. Chelsea, the general said, we should just leave him alone. She said nothing. He stood there, waiting for her to speak. The plastic on the Winnebago's floor was torn in places, kicked aside in others. Covered with tacky blood, it still crinkled under General Ogden's feet. Little bloody tentacle tracks lined the walls and the burnt orange fabric on the seats and couches. I want the boogeyman dead. Can't you block him, like Chauncey did? I'm trying, but it's hard. I don't know how yet. He could come for me before I figure it out. The gate will be done in about three hours, he said. We don't have to show our hand. Even with the rest of the men driving down from Gaylord, we have too few soldiers for a real fight. She just stared at him. What did he know anyway? He was just the general. Chelsea was in charge. If she said they had enough soldiers, they had enough soldiers, and that was that. What about the other soldiers back home? 
The ones you left to deal with Whiskey Company. That's just 18 men, Chelsea, Ogden said. They have to go up against 120 men and do enough damage to take Whiskey Company out of the picture. Well, if you have 18, then... A voice called from outside the Winnebago, stopping Chelsea in mid-sentence. The strange, deep new voice of Mommy. Chelsea, may I please talk to you? Mommy used her mouth, not her thoughts, which meant she was upset, confused. Chelsea sighed. She would have to get up and walk outside. Mommy was already having trouble fitting through the Winnebago's door. Chelsea lifted Fluffy and set him down on the couch. You stay, Fluffy, stay. She didn't have to speak out loud to Fluffy, but it was more fun. That's how you talk to puppies, in the special voice, so they knew you loved them. Come with me, General. Chelsea walked out of the Winnebago side door and into the building's cold winter air. Ogden followed her. They both looked at Mommy. Mommy seemed sad. Hello, Mommy. Chelsea, honey, Mommy said. Something's wrong. Wrong with me. Maybe with my crawlers. Chelsea shook her head. No, Mommy. Nothing is wrong. Mommy started to cry a little. She was such a baby. But look at me, she said. It hurts. I'm not pretty anymore. It hurts so bad. Pain brings you closer to God, Mommy. Don't you want to be closer to me? Mommy nodded. Of course, but baby, just look at Mommy for a second. If this keeps going, Mommy's going to... to... You'll serve God, Mommy, Chelsea said. You'll see. It'll be so cool. Bye-bye now, Mommy. Bye-bye. Mommy turned slowly and walked away. Chelsea turned to stare up at General Ogden. You don't know anything, she said. You're just a general. I'm the boss of you. I want you to kill the boogeyman. I want it. But Chelsea, most of our men are already on their way here. Take some of the 18 you left back at home and send them to kill the boogeyman. And tell them to rescue my hatchlings, too. We can't make those anymore. But Chelsea, that will leave only nine men for our sneak attack on Whiskey Company. That's just not enough. You think you're so smart. Bet Beckett thought he was smart. If you don't start behaving, I can make you look just like Mommy. Ogden's face turned white. He opened his mouth to speak, then closed it. The general glanced at Mommy. She was still walking away, still crying. He looked back at Chelsea. Tell Dustin Clymer to split his 18 men, he said. Tell him to lead the attack on Dossie. Corporal Cope can continue to Detroit, as planned. Chelsea closed her eyes, then pushed her thoughts to Mr. Cope and Mr. Clymer. It was so much easier now, so much faster. It is done. Now go make sure the rest of your men are ready for the contingency plan. She turned and walked back into the Winnebago's heat. Mommy started to cry louder, but Chelsea shut the door, and then she couldn't hear it anymore. Double Dose The little bastards were fighting back. She was in the damn suit again, in the cramped containment cell with Dr. Dan. Clarence stood outside the open glass door. If Sanchez could somehow pull free from his restraints, Clarence wouldn't even have a clear shot. That pissed Clarence off, but Margaret didn't give a shit. The latrunculin had worked, no question, 
But Sanchez's body wasn't the wide-open killing field it had been at first. Some of the crawlers seemed resistant to the drug, and those were splitting, dividing. It wasn't mitosis, nothing so elegant. The little bastard simply split into two smaller versions, each of which grabbed and incorporated free-floating muscle strands that broke away from dead crawlers. Under the microscope, it was like watching a mass of tiny snakes entwining with each other, merging, becoming a collective organism. She felt a sensation of dread. If the crawlers developed resistance to latrunculin, then she had no weapons that could keep Sanchez alive. If that happened, the only way to stop them was to kill the host. He's getting weaker, Dan said. Breath rate is increasing. Pulse is getting a little erratic. She doubled the dosage, and that had helped, but the crawlers were still in there, still heading for his brain. How many had already made it? She'd stayed ahead of this whole thing by trusting her instincts, following her gut. And right now, her gut told her that if enough crawlers reached Sanchez's brain, there would be no coming back. He'd be permanently changed, just like Betty Jewell. And wasn't death better than that? Double it again, Margaret said. Dan turned his shoulders to face her square on. No way! Didn't you hear me? He's got an erratic heartbeat. He is a strong man, doctor, Margaret said. He can handle it. Now double the dosage. Inside his helmet, Dan shook his head. No fucking way. Damn it, Daniel, Margaret said. If these things mass in his brain, he's screwed. We've got to cure him. Is killing him the same thing as curing him? Because that's what's going to happen if you jack up the dosage again. Get out of here, she said. I'll do it. He stared at her. I don't know you very well, but you're a doctor. What the hell happened to you? They happened to me, Margaret said. We have to know if this works. If we don't find a cure, one life won't really matter. Now, get the hell out of my way. Daniel pushed past her, past Clarence, and opened the airlock door to Trailer A. As she turned back toward Sanchez, her eyes caught Clarence's. In his eyes, she saw sadness. More than that, she saw pity. She finally understood why Bernadette Smith had to die, and she hated herself for it. She looked away from Clarence and started increasing the dose. You have been listening to Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 